Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. That's my little jingle. Welcome, everybody, to yet another um, exciting and educational episode of Triple R Red Rock Relationships. I'm your host, as always, and today we are taking a bit of a break from the scandalous, although not too much of a break, um, to talk about some of the relationships that we encounter that we often don't think about, right? Um, And uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about presidential relationships and how those shape and and morph and mold the way that we as society think about relationships. And uh, to help me do that is a friend of the pod and multiple guest appearance maker, Dr. Tara. Dr. Tara, welcome back. Hi, James. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's Friday. It's sunny. And we love both of those things. How are you on your end? It's sunny. It's Friday. I'm loving it. <laughs> love so. to hear it. Love <laughs> to hear it. Um, we haven't talked in quite some time, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. It's been quite some time since you were on the show. Um, have there been any uh, changes since since our last meeting? <laughs> like personal, professional, spiritual, meant... sexual. <laughs> Look, I, I, we're friends, so I know what's been going on in your life. I was just leaving the door open for you to talk about some of the stuff that's been going on. Um, yeah, well, I have two million followers on TikTok now. Woo! Um, got verified on Instagram, mm-hmm. which is like literally the most exciting thing that has happened this year. Uh, <laughs> I also got sabbatical. So this upcoming academic year, I'll be off to do all the other fun things. Heck yeah. Uh, and um, I have a new favorite sex position. Oh, um, interesting. I wonder, <laughs> Tara, I wonder which of the three presidential couples would be most likely to try it. Yeah, let's get to it. (laughs) So, yeah, so we're going to be talking not about like any one specific presidential relationship. I want to talk about three uh, more recent uh, presidential relationships because I think that they're the most applicable to like understanding the way that we do relationships. But first, I want to lead off by talking about the importance of this because the relationships we've been talking about all season are very scandalous, very titillating, very like paparazzo. uh, But these are a little bit more, they're held to a different standard. And so my first question is, um, why, why even bother talking about presidential relationships? And like, what does the title of like first lady or first man even mean from a cultural standpoint? Mm, I think that it's important to talk about and dissect and analyze presidential relationships because they're held to such, you know, high standards. Talking about like an example of a relationship, who do people think of when they think of like, oh, wow, that relationship, right? I think I think people don't think of, you know, Kim Kardashian and Kanye per se. I think they think of Uh, president and the first lady. And also historically speaking, you know, the president and the first lady have always been like the number one or one of the top celebrities in this country and and in most countries, right? Like where I'm from, we don't have presidents, but the king and the queen 
um, are considered celebrities and people are nosy about their relationships and they want to talk about their relationships. So I do think that because they are seen as this like high standard relationship examples for everyone that we should sit here and do a little, um, you know, analysis and critique about their relationships so people can have a much a more like a deeper understanding of these types of relationships. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, especially when it comes to like setting an example, right? As they often say, mm-hmm. like a good leader leads by example, right? And so that's true in terms of like policy, I suppose. Uh, but of course, in the context of this podcast and like our lives as people who study relationships, um, it, it, it matters in terms of setting the norm for, for yeah. who, you know, what sorts of relationships can we expect? So let's get right into it. We've got three presidential couples that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I expect two of them will be a little bit more interesting than the third, but let's dig <laughs> right in. I want to begin with a conversation on Bill Clinton. Um, Ooh, now, sexy Bill. Mm-hmm, yes, that good old Bill Clinton, who throughout <laughs> law school was known as like a big <laughs> ladies' man. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, in terms of relationships, I think that uh, the best way that we can unpack uh, the Clinton situation is through the affair that he had with Monica Lewinsky. And Mm -hmm. I I suppose I should mention that the theoretical perspective that we're going to be taking uh, in this journey is self-presentation theory. Um, So if you could maybe spend a little bit of time unpacking how that theory applies to the Clinton Lewinsky uh, affair and uh, (laughs) what what it was uh, about uh, the the constant deception and lies, like why did Cl- why did Bill Clinton feel the need to to present himself in that way? Right. So I mean, according to self presentation, we all as humans have the desire to make positive uh, impact on other people as they view us, right? And we do this through like strategic and not so strategic methods with him. I feel like it's definitely super strategic and uh, you know, he's always been the like charismatic person. So even before that scandal, you know, his whole look and the way he talks and what he talks about um, and the way he shows up in the room has always been about like, oh, I'm a charismatic leader. You know, I don't know if you in your show, if you've talked about different like leadership styles. You know what? We He's definitely we like should, charismatic leader. For sure. Yeah. Right. Because like, I don't think anyone kind of looks at him and thinks like he's super informed. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, let's be real. Like, I remember I was a, I was a kid Same. and I didn't even think he was that well informed. <laughs> so what kind of a leader is he? I to me, I've always seen him as a charismatic leader. So with that, you know, scandal, like with him and like Monica giving him a, you know, afternoon delight. I don't know what else if I can say certain words in, on this podcast or not. Mm, but fair. Okay, the afternoon delight, right? Like, uh, and I don't know how often. I think he went into his whole PR team went into this like self presentation strategy mode. Like, what can we say? How can he come off afterwards so that people can still see him as like a gullible guy who makes mistakes, right? Who like you know loves his wife very much and is like sometimes just strayed by you know um the the 
womanly devices of this uh, very young and and perky woman. No, I think that's such a good point because the campaign was attack Monica Lewinsky as being promiscuous and attemptress. And it ruined her life, unfortunately. She wrote a book Mm -hmm. and she uh, maybe a year or two ago was doing like the rounds on podcasts. And her story is so, so sad. Uh, And she was able Mm -hmm. to, you know, she was able to kind of like reclaim her identity. But no, I think you really hit on an important nerve right there in terms of self-presentation. Mm-hmm. And the world is so cruel to women too, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all already forgot uh, what Bill did. And like, you know, he's been on media. People are now like, oh, we love Bill. Oh, Bill's so attractive. But Monica is, you know, scarred forever. She can never, ever again get a job in the polit- uh, in politics. And uh, that goes to show like how society um, respond to women's mistakes and men's mistakes and for women there's almost like no room to make mistakes especially when it comes to sexual because people tend to think when women do something sexual it's super intentional but when men do it it's like oh but he's just a He's just a man. He couldn't help it, right? Boys will be boys. Yeah. Manly urges. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that that is like an important place to start because it talks about again sort of that like systemic perception that we yeah. acquire about what's a relationship supposed to look like oh you cheated yeah. on your wife with an intern that's fine blame the intern and yeah. and you go scot free and that informs our perceptions of who's allowed to commit infidelity and get away with it yeah oh that's such a good point and that goes also to um, Hillary, right? That like woman mm-hmm. um, critique also goes on Hillary. And when she was running, I remember seeing a bunch of conversations on Reddit saying like, why would we vote for someone who can't even keep uh, her husband happy? Yes. yes. Right. So now her capability as a leader is under scrutiny and being questioned due to his manly urges right and it's uh, you know i'm not a huge fan of hillary but it's infuriate infuriating that uh, something that her husband chose to do becomes a huge talking point for her rise to uh, political success yeah i think there's plenty of critiques that you can have of hillary clinton related to her role as secretary of state and her policy ideas from either side of the political spectrum but she can't keep her man in order is such a lazy, <laughs> misogynistic reason. You know what I mean? To not vote for someone. That's that's exactly. ridiculous. I would have dumped him personally. Period. <laughs> Moving on. Um, from the Clintons, um, I want to skip the Bush era and move on to the Obamas. Mm-hmm. Because I think that Barack and Michelle Obama really did have a relationship that you could mm-hmm. organize within the context of, quote unquote, the American dream. Mm-hmm. Husband, wife, two kids. They had an, uh, an adorable dog. dog. Yeah, <laughs> quite literally a white picket fence. I mean, it is mm-hmm. the caricature of it. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting to me is that their relationship um by conspiracists and non-conspiracists alike was constantly put under a microscope. Um, Mm -hmm. And being that they were the first non-white first couple, um, 
what pressures do you think that carried with it? And from like an identity standpoint, how do you think that they were able to present themselves along the lines of the American dream while mm-hmm. still existing uniquely as the first first couple of color? Mm, such a good question. Uh, I think they were under immense pressure uh, in terms of demonstrating and showing up as a healthy black couple. Because mm. again, this is the first um, people of color cu- couple and in the White House. And uh, I think that with, you know, the all of the pressure that comes with it is like you now are the example of all black relationships. Yeah. And if there was, you know, if there was like the same kind of incident that happened with Bill, if Obama had done that, OMG, (laughs) like that would have been just like the biggest talking point that people would have used forever against black men. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an important caveat because nobody took what Bill Clinton did and said, well, this is just the way that white men are. But right. had it happened with Obama, you, you that, that <laughs> racial and cultural connection would have been made by the same people who were so eager to excuse Bill. So it's very interesting, yeah. a very interesting dynamic for sure. Yeah. Another like criticism that I've seen um, on the internet is that they feel like Barack was controlled by Michelle because Michelle is this, you know, strong, independent black woman who, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, they like vilify her as someone that like controls her husband. Mm. Right. And like not the quote unquote, like the wife that knows her place. Right. Right. Yeah. The the role up until Michelle Obama, the role of first lady was very behind the scenes. And, you mm-hmm. know, she re- I mean. I will say Hillary Clinton did a lot of work mm-hmm. in, in in increasing the responsibilities and obligations mm-hmm. of the first lady. But Michelle but Obama. But she's white, so but, it's right. differently. Exactly. The, the glass ceiling is perhaps less glass for her. Yeah. Um, and Michelle Obama, with all the work that she did on childhood hunger, is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's simply swept under the rug in mm-hmm. lieu of these conversations about, well, who's really pulling the strings? Mm-hmm. And so. people really want to hear from her. I mean, her book is a New York Times bestseller and people just are obsessed with her book. And, you know, they love hearing from her as an individual. They invite her to speak at different places. I swear I've seen her in pop culture way more than Barack. Yeah. And you know what? There's a large contingency of uh, of left leaning individuals who would be interested in a presidential campaign out of her. Oh, interesting. It'd be very interesting. I don't know That's exactly. I don't exactly know how her resume stacks up. I know she's never mm-hmm. been an elected official, but it is an interesting thought. Um, well, if we're going to talk about a third couple, then mm-hmm. we'll know that the resume stacking up doesn't matter. That is the perfect transition into the third couple who I want to talk about, which is, of course, Donald and Melania Trump. Now, just for a little context, Melania is Donald's third wife. Um, As if, you know, unless you've been under a rock, you know that Donald Trump is accused of having an affair um, with uh, former adult film star Stormy Daniels in the middle of that marriage. They also have an age gap relationship, which is something that I think a lot of people don't talk about. They've got a 26-year age gap relationship, which I don't care how old the younger person gets. That's always going to be an age gap relationship. Mm -hmm. So that said, um, 
his supporters, right, the most fervent uh, Trump supporters, they really do view that relationship as like the ultimate aspiration of manliness. So Mm -hmm. how and why, right? If we're talking about a group of people who have traditional family values, very religious values, how do they square that circle? Mm, I think it's selective memory, right? Mm. So they choose to not remember that he was married twice before and, you know, both of those fail not to vilify divorces. I'm divorced myself. Um, It's not that like he's, you know, not it's not that they care or don't care about his previous relationships. I think it's just gone. It's ignored completely. And they view his current marriage as like the epitome of a successful alpha man's marriage. Mm. You're married to a former European supermodel who, you know, is 26 years younger than you. They almost like idolizes him and he has this insane halo effect Mm -hmm. going on. Right. Like, um, when he was younger, I just watched a documentary about like when he was younger and Mm -hmm. working and hustling the New York real estate scene, you know, he's always had this like extreme halo effect. Yeah. Like something about him. Like people just think he's so successful. When you really look at the paperwork, he's that he's not that successful. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, looking at his tax returns, uh, which leaked several months ago, there were a lot of question marks <laughs> left. Uh, but no, I think you're right. Relationally, people look at that relationship and they say, well, like, of course, he divi- he divorced his other wives. He right. was getting with a supermodel. That's yeah. that's an excusable divorce. Right. And like, yeah. well, of course, he cheated on the supermodel wife with an adult film star because he's a super successful businessman. And that, you know, how could how could anyone blame him? It's it's quite literally it's that same Bill Clinton effect. It's the of, same. Yeah, it's it's well, he's a, a rich, white, successful man, and therefore mm-hmm. he's allowed to cheat. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's allowed to cheat, and a good wife yeah. would understand that, right? Yeah, there's a whole yeah, all of that definitely comes into play. He's you know extremely wealthy. Of course, women throw themselves at him. It's not his fault. It's the other women's fault. And Melania is such a good woman. She you know forgave him and really stood by him. And you know even though it's trying not to hold his hand, I was going to say she times. literally does not stand by him and stands away from him as much as she can possibly muster. <laughs> Um, it's, it's interesting how, uh, a lot of people look up to that relationship. And I've talked to some people who were like, well, you know, maybe I'll find like, my wife is so bitter and you know, we bicker so much. Maybe I'll find myself a Melania. Like yeah. it becomes it's an a example. fantasy. No, it's a fantasy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very interesting how people conflate his reality right. with their fantasy, which I find ironic because I would bet a lot of money that the two of them have not had relations in quite some time and that Ooh. he himself has not experienced the enjoyment of another's touch in quite some time. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of us study nonverbals and by like observing and watching and analyzing, I can, you know, uh, affirm what you claim that I, I agree. I just don't think that they have a very, um, vigorating relationship. Yeah. He may be the first ever presidential incel. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. 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 Um, you asked for it. So I want to give it to you. Um, mm. our bonus question, 
Yeah. It's a simple question, but it has a very complex answer. Do you think we're ever going to see a non-heteronormative presidential relationship in our lifetime? I think we will. You do? Say more. Yeah. I really think we will. I think there is a, like, um, a lot of energy behind this guy. And people tend to look past the fact that He's a gay man in, you know, a gay marriage and like is thriving with his partner. And the guy I'm talking about is Pete Buttigieg mm. and his partner, Chastin. Um, I do feel like that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen soon, though. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But don't well, you feel like it will happen? He's he's. His resume is so long that I feel people from both sides, especially like we're, if we're talking about like moderate Republicans, yeah, yeah, um, are more like accepting of the fact that he's a gay man and and that he's you know married to a gay guy and having this thriving gay marriage. Yeah, no, I actually agree pretty much a hundred percent with everything you said there. I think from the moment that he, you, you may remember in the uh, the twenty twenty Democratic primary, he yeah. won Iowa, or he mm -hmm. didn't win it, but he split it almost with Bernie. <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened, uh, but anyway, from that moment. I believe that the DNC, they locked in on him and they said, okay, we're, he's going to be the first gay president and we're going to be the ones to deliver that. And so that's why he was given secretary of transport. Now, if you ask me, not to get too political, but if you ask me, they should have made him press secretary. I yeah. truly believe that Pete Buttigieg might be the best public speaker in the entire country. I agree with you. He's, uh, he's really good at such speaking. Such a great speaker. Yeah, really he's good a at great speaking. speaker. He's eloquent. He has like amazing vocabulary, but at the same time, really good at explaining things yeah. um, in like basic terms. Yeah, he. There's that. He's a veteran. He speaks like six languages, um, uh -huh. and perhaps this shouldn't be important, but it is important. He's straight passing. Yeah. You know what it, I mean? When yeah. I, so it's, it's like it shouldn't be, but it's so important. It is very important, especially like you said, to moderate Republican voters. And yeah. so the, I, I agree. I don't think he's going to be running for 2024. I don't no. think he's going to be running in 2028, but we might see no. a run in 2032. That that I, could be I think so. uh, obviously a lot of it depends on what happens in the most recent presidential election. But yeah, if that happens, we're going to have the first gay, the first first gay family. It's yes. weird to say first twice in a row like that, but <laughs> I, we'll be back talking about it. I do agree with you on that one. I also think that we're going to see a lot of these Gen Z elected officials yeah. who are much more comfortable because don't forget, there are a ton of non-hetero Congress people who mm -hmm. will take that secret to their grave. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but I think we can think of a few. Um, Gen Z is so much louder about that. They do not mm -hmm. care. They will present their identity, and, and that'll be that. And so I think it might be Buttigieg, but there could be someone from Gen Z who crops up as well. Um, yeah, you're right. That role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, could be, could be a woman. Very well, could be a woman. Very well, could be a woman. Um, I don't know. I don't know what, what. What do you think we're gonna in the last minute here? What do you think we're gonna see first? The first gay president or the first female president? I'm going to say um, female president. Mm, who do you think it's going to be? Yeah. Who are the candidates? <laughs> well, there, you know, you got Kamala the Mamala. You got Amy, Amy Klobuchar. I think that eventually someone like um, 
uh, Katie Porter or Stacey Abrams could make a run. Um, those are the top candidates that I see right now. Oh, Gretchen Whitmer is another mm-hmm. potential option, governor of Michigan. So I think that there are some potential candidates. And of course, Joe Biden has not announced anything yet for 2024. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll see one of them run this time around. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do, you know, have good feelings about all of the names that you had mentioned, but I do think that they, they need like PR revamp. Oh yeah. Especially like big Gretch could use that. I mean, (laughs) the thing is Katie Porter has an element of virility that is similar to Donald Trump's, you know, she takes out her whiteboard and she lectures CEOs. So maybe her, Maybe. We'll see. I know she's running for Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat, so it looks like she's on that path. Oh, yeah. But, like, the the PR revamp still needs to exist, though. I agree. And at that time, though, when it happens, I'll have you back on and we'll talk about the first first man. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm excited. Well, on that note, uh, we are out of time. So, Dr. Tara, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. All right. We are... Uh, done being professional and next week we're going to be talking about one of the more wild relationships in the past year we're going to be talking about harry olivia and jason and that salad dressing whatever it was Um, but until then um, take care everyone i'll see you all next time you've been listening to red rock relationships a podcast about communication thank you so much for giving us some of your time if you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us please send us an email to Red Rock Relationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.